Hello, my beautiful people. So, my next guest, Jason LaFrance. I was introduced to, basically from listening to Brianna Davis and her interview with him, and I just loved his story. And so I looked him up and invited him to be on my podcast. This man is so amazing. He's a recovering alcoholic, along with some other minor drugs, but not necessarily addictions, and also has a low self-esteem and a problem with loving himself. A lot of things stemming from his childhood. But the one thing that we have in common is both of us love to do all the things for people. Please help me in welcoming Jason LaFrance. Hi, this is Christy from Life Struggles, and today I have a special guest. His name is Jason Lachance. I'm so super excited to have him. He's from the podcast Knocking Doors Down. I love listening to it. I have about 10 of them that I've listened to, but you're the second. So awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for welcoming me and reaching out. It's uh, awesome to make your acquaintance and an uh, honor to be on with you. Thank you so much. I really so much appreciate it. And I know my audience will too. So first of all, can you give me a little bit about your background history? Sure. Uh, so I am uh, in recovery for alcoholism. Um, also uh, doing a lot of work in the sex and love addiction area, which uh, stimulates uh, or stems from my childhood trauma. And I really think that was probably my first issue over alcohol. Um, How old so, were you then? Um, I didn't really start drinking until 22, 23, 24, but my alcoholism didn't really kick in until about 29, 30. Um, okay. I was in a very tumultuous relationship with my children's mom. And um, so it didn't come till later, but, but definitely the looking back now that, uh, that love addiction and wanting to be loved, you know, when people always think it's just just women that are wanting, you know, adornment or something. No, men, we do it too. We manifest things differently. As you know, so well from the work you do, men and women, we manifest things differently. Mm -hmm. You know, addictions, traumas, um, learning disabilities, everything. And so, um, you know, for me, really looking back, it, it, it all started with that because my father, who is um, 20, I think he's almost 20 years sober now. Uh, very traumatic childhood. It definitely, um, in addition to being an addict, um, you know, various drugs, um, alcohol, yes, but that really wasn't his thing. Um, but he did have some sexual trauma as well. And so 
it was probably I was five or six. And that's the first time I remember my dad showing me pornography. From what I know, he was high at the time. And so it became like this bond of validation. You know, I still remember my dad going, geez, son, you always bring all these hot women around. And so for me, it was this validation thing for, you know, quote unquote, outward beauty, you know, bringing that around validation there. And I, I always sought uh, reflecting, you know, that validation from women, um, mm -hmm. without even realizing that, uh, that I was being, that that's what you were doing. Jerk. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's not that I was abusive. Um, but I definitely cycled through women pretty quickly. Um, okay. I was, I, I was never unfaithful within the exception of, of my, my marriage. Um, cause there was, there was infidelity there. Um, just between both of us, unfortunately, you know, two people, we totally trauma bonded, which I don't know if you've <laughs> yes. later, if you've talked about it. And um, yeah, so my relationships usually had about a 18 months to a two year cycle. And it just through that, you know, just kept being a repeating pattern. Um, I got cheated on a lot. Um, but I, uh, within that, I realized I was very distant. You know, I definitely continued to turn to pornography throughout my life. Um, and so, and it wasn't something that was an evident issue either. It was hidden pretty well, but it was also, you know, that being young and, you know, your buddies and, you know, Hey, did you check this out and that? And, and so it goes back to really, I think that concept when you're an entrenched in an environment, you don't know that it's wrong. Like I, with you my know, drinking, I didn't know that it was wrong because I was around other alcoholics. It's right. sort of seemed normal. So it's amazing to me. Uh, this happened to me all the way through college, but I just chose because of the atmosphere that I grew up in with the addiction of alcohol um, that I didn't even want to try to drink because mm -hmm. it went way back in our family. Mm -hmm. And I had done a lot of studies on it and it can be hereditary. And so I was afraid of it. Like I was afraid if I took that drink, that would be the end of it. So I just chose not to. However, in college, you know, you have all the college bars around you and everybody goes, you know, well, I don't know about if you went to college and it doesn't matter, but I went to the University of Nebraska and on um, every Thursday was like the night we all went out to the bars. Yep. Um, you know, fr Friday, everybody went too, but um, like Saturday night was date night. Friday night was, you know, whatever. But Thursday night was, I don't, I don't know. That was the night that we, that we went. And, and I loved being around people and I was a big socialite, but, you know, they, they always wanted to, you know, buy you, buy you a beer, buy a shot, you know, and, and I would say, you know, thanks, but no thanks, I'm fine. But they pushed and pushed and pushed. And and they thought I couldn't have fun if I didn't take that drink. And, and I got, yeah, I kept saying, you know, I don't know, I don't understand. I'm dancing, I'm laughing. I really was having fun until they would get so drunk that it wasn't fun. <laughs> right. You know, and of course they don't see that because they're all feeling the same thing and they think everything's funny. So, you know, at that point I would leave, you know, but I can't believe how many people actually push somebody, keep yep. pushing when you say no, thank you. Yeah. And, you know, and I was definitely subjected to that when I first started to really kind of come out of my shell 
I think a lot of the the home life situation and really wanting to be solid for my mom and I do have an older brother but he was gone at the time when my dad was really starting to kind of seek recovery and going through some different programs and um, treatment facilities so I I was a kid in high school that I got the drunk people home you know the you know the girl was getting drunk and then you know another guy you know it's like you know hey girl x you know what it's time to go you're gonna make a bad decision here and you know did they ever offer you though at a younger age oh yeah oh yeah and 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 i do recollect um uh i talked about this on another podcast that there was a um somebody that my dad employed or one of his his sons or something that uh had given me beer it was a budweiser and I was probably, I think, seven, eight, nine, somewhere in there. And I remember having a sip and being like, that is spitting it out. That is the most disgusting thing. That was <laughs> a good thing. Yeah. I, it, it, and it really just, it didn't appeal to me. Um, uh, drugs, I tried a lot of them. Didn't appeal. Never stuck. Thank goodness. I just, it was like, no. And, and alcohol was just a really odd thing and why it took off. I, I really don't know. I don't know, you know. But you said you were like 22 when you. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I started. That's working, a decent age. Yeah. I was in, in college um, and I had started working in radio uh, while going to college at uh, CSUMB in Monterey, California. And, Love Monterey. Uh, Oh, it's my favorite. People always ask me, you moved from Monterey to the I know, right? It's like, I did it for work, you know? Um, and so, you know, being out, but I, it's not that I didn't have times of getting drunk, but I was a guy that at that point I could say no, you know, it, mm-hmm. it wasn't an issue. I, you know, I, I remember uh, one night being out with friends and what do you want to drink? I'm like, I will have milk. And the bartender who was a friend just looked at me and I'm like, Oh, I'm driving everybody, you know, just give me a glass of milk. And they, everybody just thought that was the funniest thing. So when I would go back to this bar, they'd put out a glass of milk. And so it, it, it again, it's not that I didn't drink or that I didn't get drunk or, the, you know, the sick throwing up in toilets. It just wasn't a frequent thing. You know, I could go months and months and months without having a drink or you know maybe one here or there out at a meal with friends and and it just wasn't yet a problem then so let me ask you something do you um i'm sure you've done studies on addiction itself do you feel like yours is is hereditary it runs in my family on both sides Mm-hmm. So I'm do not want to ignore that fact. Uh, mm-hmm. Luckily, my brother doesn't have that, but but I seem to. Um, but we also experience different traumas. Um, so here's what I'm going to ask you, because going through Al-Anon, I mm-hmm. learned that even though I wasn't drinking and I wasn't doing drugs, I found out that I I still had little addictions. Mm-hmm. It, it's still a hereditary gene in your body. And, and I didn't consider it an addiction, but like I had to have, it was, it's almost like a, um, OCD, but I had to have like everything in place and everything clean. My drawers perfectly lined up everything inside of them. I remember um, having some friends over and uh, you know, I got them some drinks and when they went to put it down on the coffee table, I rushed over to put a, a coaster underneath 
<laughs> and but the worst thing was I would like pick up that coaster and dry it off every time it got wet. Oh goodness. And I had one of them say to me, Can you like just sit back and relax? And I was relaxed. Just just I kept everything clean. But that actually I found out was part of being from an addicted personality. Yeah. Well, and it's funny you mentioned that. I um you know, I was kind of a sloppy kid as kids often are. And then once I kind of hit high school, then I really started to understand that my dad had a problem. Uh, I didn't fully know. We were kind of, we not kind of, we were very much insulated from it. Our mom did a, what she thought was best in insulating mm-hmm. us from it. And, um, you know, my thing, I was really into high-end sneakers and fashion at the time. And so I had my closet was color-coded, lined up, you know, jackets here, shirt, mm-hmm. you know, left to right. And so I definitely went through a period until I got about 17, then depression kicked in and all of it went out the door. I just didn't care anymore. I like just stopped caring. And so I still, now it's, uh, my kids will get on me, uh, you know, at 43 years old. And now I see it kind of coming back a little bit. So I sometimes have to leave a little something out of place just to be like, it's okay. I don't have to fix that. Right. I don't have to solve the universe. I don't have to be in control of everything. And um, so I, yeah. Um, but back to the family lineage, I have a lot of yes, Native please. American blood in me. And, you know, of course, all the studies on Native American history. And once, you know, alcohol was brought over to the, uh, what we call the United States now. And, um, I, you know, how it affected that, um, that part of my lineage back. And so it's definitely... A lot of addictive behavior, not just alcoholism, but just, uh, um, you know, the sex and love area on both sides of my family, for sure. Um, you know, saw it with, with my dad's dad, my dad's mom, um, my grandparents on my mom's side, very young when they got married, very kind of tumultuous relationship. So, you know, it was a set out pattern uh, there, that right. it was almost like, okay, you know, you're going to have to deal with this, or this is going to become a, a, you know, your life of misery. If you're not will, really willing to take a look uh, at all the underlining things that were there. So, so do you feel like that, that you had a pretty good childhood though? Um, my mom was amazing. Um, I know looking back, she did the best she could with everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always a shy kid insecure kid uh dyslexic um so you know there's a lot of things in school that uh you know i would i might be the jokester to kind of get out of situations or um you know i would i've got my own tricks of talking with my friends to you know hey what was this what did you read and you know so i found my own little tricks um Plus, she was managing someone that uh, was struggling with substance abuse off and on throughout their relationship. And my parents were very young when they got married. My dad actually had to have his mom sign the marriage certificate because he was 17 and my mom was Oh, 20. my goodness. Yeah. So, you know, they were kids when we were born. I couldn't. Right. Know, I, I can't imagine looking back at how, how young they were when my brother came along. And, um, you know, and, and again, it, it was a very emotionally immature generation that things like therapy and stuff like that weren't, they weren't looked at. If you, if you were, went to therapy, you were a kook in a whack and, you know, um, so 
Oh, wait till you hear my podcast with Brian Davis, and then oh, you'll yeah. hear about how because I was in that aurora of your you hide things, your family yeah. keeps secrets. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and Brianne's been on mine too, and mm-hmm. uh, I've been on hers. She's a great, mm-hmm. great lady, and her and her husband Mark have become mm-hmm. friends. I just adore them. Yep. Um, but it it really is, and how we do hide those things, like uh, the pornography stuff, was never talked about. I I remember a time of putting something in my pillowcase at seven, eight years old, be it a Playboy or whatever it was, and uh, just going and have it in my room. And I know my mom changed my sheets, but the, the conversation. So how did you get there. those though? Did your dad have those? Oh yes. In abundance. You know, so that, um, in, in my marriage, um, he had been married before and had a son that, that lived with us that was nine years old when I came home from work and they were watching Coyote Ugly. Mm. And uh, do you remember that movie? I do, vaguely. Okay, not anything a nine-year-old should be watching. No. And I immediately was like, what are you doing? <laughs> he's not old enough to be watching this. And he's like, it's fine. And I didn't really have a say-so. I was the stepmom. And he and his wife ex-wife had already decided that to not have problems that I was not to have a say so so that kind of started out bad there and then I caught him maybe a year later maybe two years later in the garage both of them looking at playboys together and I'm like do you understand what you're doing here yeah it's not it's it, for any fathers out there or, or mothers or anyway yeah it's not the way you bond with your children and and it took it's a really long time not to yeah it took a long time to set boundary issues with my dad you know because he would even um be inquisitive about um you know boy son she's hot and, you know and it's and it really I, I i had to unload on him probably about four or five years ago Uh, just like how wrong that was and I think that's when he started to really look into his own traumas of of really bad sexual abuse pornography exposure Um, he recollects his uh, his dad taking him to uh, women's houses that he would be oh this is this is my friend and it wasn't it was one of his trysts and you know so it does go way back in your family yes oh yes absolutely so that area and in um, my uncle, my dad's only brother, he died of uh, drug and alcohol related issues. Um, he was uh, illegally getting Oxycontin and drinking with it and smoking a cigarette in his house and he passed out and lit, lit it up on fire. You know, uh, I had another uncle that on my mom's side that um, took his own life because he was so deep into his addiction that, that he saw suicide as the only way out. So and uh, one of my mom's sisters that that abused substances from her teenage years till she passed only a month and a half ago, um, you know, but it, her body had broken down and and she had gotten COVID and, and thus passed away. Not, you know, as people go, oh, COVID killed her. I go, no, no, she destroyed her lungs, her liver and her kidneys. And once she got COVID, there was COVID, you right. Yeah. right. So, um, I get that. Yeah very very sad situation and my mom's dad struggled with alcohol till till he passed away so um yeah it's it's definitely entrenched 
Yeah. So I can't, the funny thing is like, you know, I said, my dad was the alcoholic, um, can't trace any back in his family. Um, but on my mom's side, a lot, like all the way back to my great grandfather, who was actually a bootlegger. I'll be darned. (laughs) (laughs) Um, just found that out not too long ago when one of my cousins was was doing a a family tree thing Mm -hmm. and was I like he like retired and he was like I want to find all about our family they came from uh, Germany and Austria oh wow okay and uh, so he wanted to trace everything back and when (laughs) I'll never forget when he called me and he said you're never gonna believe this our great grandfather was a bootlegger and he actually went to jail for it. I'm like, oh, wow. what? <laughs> Did they settle in Illinois? No, um, no, Kansas. Okay. Kansas. Actually, my grandfather, so my mom's dad um, came over to Ellis Island oh, and I actually got to see his name in the walls there over in wow. Ellis Island. So he came over there. Um, he was 20 at the time, but it was an arranged marriage. Sure. Um, so my grandmother, yeah, my grandmother um, was 14 years old and oh, her, they were, her family was Catholics and her dad had too many girls and had no use for them on the farms. And so he would sell them off to two men as wives and so my grandma basically for my grandpa was a baby maker they had 15 kids oh my gosh can you imagine (laughs) no but I'm going to tell you something amazing this is absolutely amazing to me out of 15 kids 13 of them have a college education wow and I probably have over 200 and some cousins but all of us were raised how important it was. And, and, and going back and talking to my mom, like, you know, some of her brothers and sisters were 12, 13, 14 years older than her, sure. you know, um, and they, they would, all the boys to get their college education went into the um, military, mm-hmm. um, did that, came out, worked and went to college and helped you know, support the house. They had to buy a second house next door to them to just made all the bedrooms. Can you imagine? No. My grandma was just always pregnant. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it it seems to have been. Yeah, my mom is one of six. So, and then, uh, you know, we've got a pretty, pretty big amount of cousins. It's somewhere in the 30s or 40s, you know, from all that. So. Amazing. But um, a I can tell you that we have a lot on my mom's side, a lot of um, alcohol addiction and some drug addiction, not as much, but mostly alcohol addiction. So that kind of surprised me with, now my mom wasn't, my mom didn't drink, (laughs) but my dad ended up, but he didn't have any of it on his, his side of it that we can find. Yeah, well, and it's and it's weird, and I'm sure with your work, I, you know, trauma is such an interesting thing, and not having the tools to cope because we get situations that we've never had to face, or someone that's close to us 
has never had to face. And especially if we're in that, you don't talk about it, as you were saying, the mm-hmm. generation that you don't talk about it. I remember that the, um, my kid's great grandmother and grandfather are still alive there in their late 80s, early 90s. And she was asking, you know, well, what I'm doing. And I said, I speak with uh, celebrities, experts and everyday people about uh, mental health and addiction issues and how they got on the other side to to have a purposeful life. And she's like, oh, my word, we just stuffed that stuff down. And it's like, no, that how did that work out? That didn't work out too good. No, you don't. No. Stuff it down. Because no. when you do, it's going to bleed out somewhere else. And, and you know, forewarning, you're going to bleed all over people that didn't cut you. So, right, right. You know, we better exactly. talk about it. Okay, so let's, let's get down to, so we know you've got a background of addiction. How long have you been in recovery? Um, I've been in recovery for four and a half years, but I'm coming up February 15th will be two years of sobriety. I did have a couple of fall-offs. In reality, I actually probably, I should probably say seven years. I did attend some AA and have, you know, six months here, eight months here of sobriety, um, you know, back then, but, but I did, I wasn't going for me, uh, you know. I, I wasn't doing it for me. Mm, so you didn't that. hit that rock bottom. No, no, nope. so, no, I didn't. Yeah. Not. So you, you absolutely know now that you have to, it has to be what you want. And yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So can you tell me what, what, what do you feel triggers on, on your end for you My to last- follow up? My last relapse definitely was connected to a toxic relationship. Uh, I am a people pleaser at heart. That is a thing that I have to work on every day. Um, and I think that's important to share with people is that, yes, you, you, you can recover. You know, I still say I am in recovery. I am not yet at the point where I go, I am recovered. This is just. You're always going to be in recovery. Yeah. I am not, you know, I am still learning to work it. But um, I'm in recovery. I'm always going to be right. Uh, Definitely a toxic relationship. And it was that that uh, people pleasing and, you know, the the that person wanted me to fulfill them. And why didn't you do this? Why don't you do it this way? And wanting me to read their mind and everything else. And it just yeah, it it just pushed me over the edge. And after it's interesting because you said you're a people pleaser. That's Mm -hmm. also one of the personality traits that you get from coming from an addic- addiction family. And, oh, yeah. and that's what I am as a people pleaser. Yeah. And I can tell you, I get my feelings hurt a lot. <laughs> yeah. um, I have a very, very sensitive heart. I want to always help everybody. Um, if, if you knew all the volunteer stuff that I'm in and uh, I don't care who it is I see on the street. I'm going to help them. Yeah. I think I can save the world. I, I don't think I can. I want to. Yes. You know, and, and uh, people that I go above and beyond a call of duty to help don't give a crap about me. Yeah. And, and some, it's sometimes it hurts a lot. And it does. thankfully, I'm, I don't have anything that I go to except for chocolate. That's my addiction. <laughs> that is my addiction. 
Uh, well, it could be worse. It could be, except that, you know, I have to really watch it because I could become diabetic. This is true. You know, Especially so that runs in your family. It does because oh, of the alcohol, Christy, because alcohol turns into sugar. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and so it does. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, like my son just saw us last night, you know, he was getting off work. He's in college and he was getting off work. He works three nights a week um, for Jimmy John's. I don't know if you've ever yeah, heard of a Jimmy John's. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, sandwiches. Sandwiches, right? Jimmy yes. Sandwiches. And he, he's he's delivering from this little rich s- suburb that he, you know, he, he just three nights a week or four hours and he's making like four hundred dollars cash a night. That is awesome. Yeah. So he's like super excited, but he always brings their chocolate chip cookies home. <laughs> and he, he, you know, the first thing he does is come in and, and put one on my bedside. Oh, I'm like, no, no, <laughs> you need to go, you know, eat it yourself or go put it away. And he's like, well, no, you'll need this. And I'm like, I, if it's sitting there, I'll eat it. Yeah, I will. Yeah. I know that about myself. And I'm like, I don't even want you to tell me where you're going to put it. Just go hide it. <laughs> and then if I'm having a breakdown. So if, if you know, lately, gosh, COVID's been bad for everybody. Sure. But just in the last several months, I lost my mother-in-law and I lost uh-huh. my uncle and, and a friend. And, you know, it's just ongoing for everybody. Something, something's going on. But um, that's what I go to is chocolate and 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 I put on weight and the thing is I don't even feel good about it the next day you know I but at any rate I have to put some control in there and that's a constant battle so I mean people might laugh about that saying well there could be worse things but really being a diabetic can be bad (laughs) yes you know so I've um, seen it firsthand uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of diabetics in my family on my mom's side, yeah. you know, well, and I, I you, you bring up a really interesting thing you said there is, is the, the way you feel the next day. And it's, you know, for those maybe listening, don't understand. That's exactly what it is with addiction, but then you go back to it because you want to throw away the shame and the guilt and everything mm-hmm. else. And, you know, um, that's why for me as a people pleaser boundaries have been the the motto of the last year of working on boundaries and and I just I love to be loved and loved and I've had to really work and go "Mm, yeah that person might have affection for me but that's not love by definition and so you know it's a lot of cutting off ties with people and um you know, well, some people have helped me out and just disappeared on their own, which, uh, you know, thank you for that. But, uh, <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, definitely working on those boundary issues, uh, not only um, externally, but within myself, you know, there's things that just no, I will not, I will not do this. I have rules with in place with life, you know. Um, so have so. you found in your relationships, maybe not at the time, but later on that you um, have a pattern of choosing somebody that has problems. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's letting that, that ego override it. Well, I'll come in and I'm going to make their life better and they're going to make my life better. 
you know, it's, it's such a, a misnomer when it comes to relationships, you know, those Hollywood movies and the endings and how it goes. And that's just not how a good, healthy, functioning relationship works. You know, you're, everybody's their own individual and only you can fulfill your needs. And so absolutely, I would go in and thinking like, okay, here I am, I'm, I'm lifting this person up. And really, I just pulled myself down. Right, right. Okay, so let's, let's talk about some issues that you're dealing with yourself. Okay. Um, and one of one of them is self esteem. Mm-hmm. So, so tell me about your self esteem and where you think this came from. Uh, definitely childhood, for sure. Um, I felt very much with my dad, be seen, not heard. Um, that I didn't have anything valid to, uh, to offer. Um, I was a very sh- short and gangly kid. Now I'm just tall and gangly. Um, so how I was, tall are uh, you? Uh, six, three, six, three. Okay. But I'm pretty slim. I'm only about 175, 180 pounds in there. So I'm a pretty slim oh my goodness. guy. Yeah. Um, and I, and I just always kind of felt like an outsider. Like I didn't really fit in although I got along with people really well but mm-hmm. I think I played a role to fit what they wanted me to be for a lot of people um, with the exception of, of of one person who's been my best friend since I was three and still my best friend to this day I just never felt like you know I could just really be myself ar- around most people um, if that makes sense even as a child and but you so you think it's coming from your dad not giving you attention? I think so. There there wasn't a lot of um, healthy interactions. I mean, there was times he might have taken me to do things or I was incredibly spoiled. It was the 80s. My parents owned a, a trucking company that thrived and my mom owned a travel agency. And so, I mean, I, I was into G.I. Joe. I'm still so geeky. I have a tattoo of my favorite G.I. Joe character. On my oh, I want to see it. Oh, okay. Let me... Uh, let me see here. Um, but, you know, I had a lot of escapism through my toys, my comic books, uh, um, you know, video games and all those things. So I just never felt like I was incorporated into all the family stuff. So I don't know. Whoop, that, where's the Oh, I love it. Yeah. How do I get that? I can see it. Okay. I can see it. Yeah, my favorite cool. character is named Snake Eyes. So Snake Eyes. Uh, yeah. Nice. And there's a cool story about that and why I got the tattoo, but maybe we'll save that a little later on. Um, but yeah, I never really felt like there was there was um much invested in, in me. Um, you know, I know my mom did she was amazing. I mean, I was very active in baseball and I was a really good base, very good baseball player until my growth spurt and you know, she took me to every practice, was pretty much at every game other than, uh, sadly, my first home run. Uh, my parents were traveling on vacation, uh, but my grandma was there, whom I was very close to, my mom's mom. Um, so my mom was really involved and did the best she could, got me tutors and, you know, like school, knew that there was something learning-wise that I just, you know. So the I, tutors, I was that for the dyslexia? Um, 
I was struggling in all areas of school. And I and yeah. I still think I was actually just had a checkup with my doctor. I'm like, I want to get tested for ADHD because <laughs> I just think I'm this guy that my mind. About 70% of the population have that. Yeah. Um, so I was just a kid. I couldn't really focus very well. Um, I didn't have too many, like, I mean, there's nothing wrong with toys. We we all learn from play. It's important. Sure. But uh, I think a lot of escapism uh, from that. And really, I, I uh, looking back, avoided my dad a lot um, as a child. So I just, I don't know. I just felt that. And he didn't life. like yell or scream at you or put uh, you down. Oh, he would yell. Yeah. Oh, he would yell. Was he a yeller? <laughs> he was a yeller. Um, he may not recollect it. And, and I, he owns it now. My dad and I have a beautiful relationship now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's owned his part and made his amends with me. And he still all the time will apologize like that. It, it's like, hey, we got the life we got now. You know, I right. he blamed himself for for my tumultuous relationships and alcohol. It's like that. That's no blame. You don't get a blame. A, your ego doesn't get to blame you. And I don't get to right. blame anyone else. Okay. This is, this is a me issue, but uh, yeah, I felt very just disconnected, very disconnected. My mom did her best. And I know there was things that were hard for her to navigate emotionally um, with what she was going through, but yeah, feeling very alone. So have you, what have you done to help improve that self-esteem? I do a lot of positive self-talk. I know some people think it's silly. Uh, Oh no. I have a 12-year-old daughter right now who's who's been struggling with some self-esteem things and understanding why anyone would love her and not, and you know. So I'm the dad that'll sit there. Doesn't that and, hurt you? Oh my it breaks my heart. Like, you know, we, my girlfriend and I wrapped Christmas presents and she's got all my daughter's got all these presents and why would you guys do that, you know? And it's like, look, we, we we love you. You don't owe anything. We did it because we want to and um yeah, it's really tough. So I'll, you know, I'll sit up and read and try to understand, you know, what, what is going on there. And I tell her, like, I do it in the morning, like you, you are a strong man, you are, you know, you are worthy of love, which that was the thing I never felt like until sadly until about a year and a half ago, um, really where I started to do that work. And so I'll tell myself little mantras, you know, today's going to be a positive day. Anything that may come up, you can, you can face it and get through it. Uh, You know, remember this too shall pass or whatever the stuff I I'll do that. Some meditation, prayer, uh, spiritual, my spirituality, you know, as I say, the God I do business with is Mm -hmm. very important to me. Um, And so uh, it's a lot of those different practices, Uh, healthier eating, you know, it continues to improve. You know, when I was in my alcoholism, I was like, oh, I'll just get Taco Bell or whatever. Right. <laughs> um, ironically, and I would still feed my kids really well, but but I would buy myself junk, um, which was always pretty weird for me. Um, thank goodness, though, because uh, they are very healthy. Uh, and when I say healthy, like they like healthy food. They're not, you know, go get us junk or McDonald's or whatever. So, um, so See, I was one of those parents that that. Um... I, I did eat healthy and I still do. Um, but I made them eat everything that I cooked. Sure. And mm, that comes from my mom, which 
I don't think scarred us. There was only one thing that I remember that she made us eat that I absolutely hated. <laughs> I mean, hated. It was liver. I was going to say, was it liver and onions? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, that is so gross. I wonder if it's a, 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 a Great Depression, Dust Bowl generation kind of thing <laughs> out of that thing. I don't know, but it's supposed to be healthy. It. Yeah. My grandpa loved it. I don't oh, know. I don't my know whole why. Family, my whole mom's family. So yeah, once a week, liver and onions. And, you know, each one of us would like cut off pieces and we would like go like this and like drop it on the floor for the dog to come get, but then yeah. we'd get caught. She knew <laughs> when the dog come under the table, you know, we were. <laughs> and so then we'd have to sit there with her. It didn't matter if it took two hours to eat every bite. Right. And, and so I remember thinking, I am never going to force my kids to eat something that they hate. Um, but so I did raise them just, I made everything but liver and onions. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still not going to try it. I'm oh, not going to no. do it. Can't but um, still healthy food. And I didn't really, and maybe I was just lucky. They never turned stuff down. Mm. And to this day, they, they eat all these things that all the other kids don't eat. Like their friends, their friends will say, Ooh, how like, like salmon, you know, my, my, my kids love seafood. Um, but I put a lot of seafood, you know, into our, our meals and we didn't do mashed potatoes and we, you know, we did sweet potatoes and, and we did, um, now they didn't have cauliflower rice then, um, but we did do rice until I found out that rice had a lot of stuff in it that we shouldn't have. So we, we changed that up, but them growing up, everything that was absolutely healthy. So they ate a lot of vegetables um, because diabetes ran in the family. I did watch the amount of fruits, mm. if, you know, there's more fruits that have more sugar in it than others. So they still got their fruits, but I, you know, watched what kind it was and, uh, not, not a red meat eater. Mm. Um, we did, my, my father was a a hunter and we had a lot of, and it always grown up with a lot of pheasant and deer, you know, which is good meat, good meat duck. We had duck, you know, at Christmas, um, and, and so I still, to this day, get duck and pheasant and all that. And the kids love it. And uh-huh. they, they have to like not tell their friends that this is what they're having and have them try something. Because if they tell them what it, what it is, they won't even try it. Oh, that's funny. That's, which is kind of sad. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, but. Uh, it was a very conscious thought. And I do commend, um, you know, my kid's mom that that was a thing that she kind of headed spearheaded when we were married and and you know i i definitely agreed but i mean gosh my kids and it's unfortunate because it's so expensive but they love sushi and people are like you know when my kids were little they're like your kids like sushi i'm like yeah they had it at like three years old mm-hmm. three years old you know it was yeah. so we were always pretty well about you know that nutrition and and you know trying different things because i love I love different cuisine and, you know, went to a vegan restaurant recently and my friend's like, do you eat meat? I'm like, I don't care. It was phenomenal. I had this 
lasagna that the cheese was made from cashews. It was freaking amazing. So, right. You know, so um, that was really important. And I'm glad that I've seen myself incorporate that now, too. So, uh, you know, it's 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 vital. So and I, it's helped my self-esteem. It goes back to that. Um, I don't know if you've heard the the halt, you know, hungry, angry, lonely. Tired, oh, yes. Know? So. You know, it's uh, those things in in recovery, we have so many sayings and so many little acronyms and everything else, but they work. They really work. Um, Have you ever thought about putting like little yellow sticky notes with affirmations all over the place that you would see? I do have some, actually. I I have a whiteboard that's right uh, in the uh, my bedroom uh, on my closet door. I do have some. I have one that actually still up when I started the uh, the podcast, the Knocking Doors Down podcast, um, which I'm not sure if you know is is actually based off of uh, a book uh, from a gentleman that started this company and um, his. That's the book I was asking you about, and then I thought I got confused, so I wanted to know. I want to write that down so that I can read it. What's the name of that? Uh, it's uh, same as the podcast, Knocking Doors Down. Okay, it's the same book. Yeah, and you can get it on uh, Amazon, and and um, they have a Kindle version, a digital book. And um, but uh, yeah, I still have a posted up that says I'm excited to start this venture with Carlos, and it's been almost two years, and it's still up there. And so I still come with that same attitude. So I do have a lot of different little sayings or things that I'll put up there, maybe change it, you know change it out from time to time, but, um, it's, it's important to, to, to have those things and read those things and those reminders. Absolutely. I, I wish, uh, you know, my, my, uh, older daughter, my firstborn, we, we read all the time mm-hmm. and we were, you know, just readers instead of watching TV, we read books you think I could get my youngest? I mean, he's, he's a sophomore in college now, but he, you know, he'll watch the movies, but forget the books. And it's really sad because in his age group, um, going to school, how old are your kids? Uh, So you're, you're probably going through that period of time where like they go through the core, they're learning the core and you know, they're, they're working off of the laptop. So they don't really like, they don't have, first of all, they don't have to write anymore. Yeah. So there, there's no writing skills. Um, their English isn't really English. It's not really grammar. Yeah. It's you know literature. what I'm saying? Um, I, I feel bad for them. My, my, you know, here's my son, 20 years old, sophomore in college. And his grandmother sent him a card. And he had to bring it to me. And he said, could you read this to me? And I'm like, are you kidding me? He can't read, he can't read cursive. Oh, yeah. Because they didn't, they, the only time they had to learn cursive was in second grade to be able to write their name. Right. That's it. That's sad. Yeah. That is really sad. We could go on and on about the state of education. I worked as, as a high school teacher for five years. So I, uh, I got a lot to say, but that would be a totally different. Show it would, it would. Okay. So um, anyway, but it, so your self-esteem that, that goes back to that. Um, but you weren't considered having a learning disability, right? I was diagnosed 
finally by the time I hit eighth grade with dyslexia. With dyslexia. Yeah. Okay. And so that kind of, is that where you read stuff backwards? Correct. Yeah. Or just uh, jumble up. I can go through a whole paragraph and a paragraph reading it and just nothing about it made sense. Nothing will register in my head, you know, or um, when uh, the teacher that really started to get me help by eighth grade noticed that um, he goes, you've got some really good thoughts here, but there's stuff missing. And I'm like, what are you talking about? My brain would get way ahead and I would Mm -hmm. swear that I would put my full thoughts out. And, and so I might combine paragraphs or have sentences within it that were just almost nonsensical or run-ons. And, 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 you know, there's so many different things with dyslexia. It's, it's you know. Um, so what did they do to help you with that? I had to learn some different tools, some different tools and slow down. I still get it here at work with, with uh, emails of people that, hey, what are you trying to say here? And it's like, sorry, was rushing. Thought I got the full thought out. Um, but there's different tools. Uh, for me, you know, I haven't had a, a background of radio for 20 years. And I, I do a lot of um, announcing for events and things like that. I've got to really, you know, if it's if it's something, if I'm reading a script or something, I tend to hand write it out. Um, or if it's, you know, notes for for the event or whatever, I tend to hand write it out. And that helps almost to the point where I memorize everything. So it, so it almost becomes bullet points. So it's just little techniques like that. Which that I think things like that we should do anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You know. yeah. So um, it's, uh, it, it really doesn't affect me. I, I notice it the most if I am really tired or irritable that it starts to really kind of uh, go into activation mode the most where it's just the written word will not make sense to me or trying to put my thoughts out will not make sense to me. But do you, you know, so you're saying that like could be part of that self-esteem issue too, but did, did other kids notice that that were bullying you about it? I got called stupid a lot. Did you? Yeah, I got put down a lot. I did, you know, I, I, I had some pretty rough uh, moments of bullying, not too much violence. There was some, but not too bad. Um, but, you know, and ironically, I had had girls that were mean to me, whereas so that same kind of thing going back to, you know, the stuff that with my dad looking for the validation and then the pretty girls in school were the ones that were the meanest to me. You know, this is elementary school time. You know, that's a, that's a funny thing because, and and that's in one of my podcasts too, but I was, I was, I, I guess you call it bullying now, but at the time I didn't, didn't even know the word bullying, but this was my seventh, seventh and eighth grade. And um, I too was very thin Mm. um, and probably tall. I mean, I'm five, eight. I mean, that's not. That was tall then. Sure. I was I was probably in seventh and eighth grade, like five six, where most of them were like five two and five three, the girls. You know, so and and I was thin. Um, and I was later in developing. And it was the boys who were teasing me about being flat chested, you know, and here I was a cheerleader. (laughs) Embarrassing moment. Uh, as a cheerleader here, the other cheerleaders, you know, it already all developed and, you know, you're a guy, so you don't know the things that the girls, 
you know, talk about or did talk about when we were that age, but, you know, it was a big deal to get into your first bra and, and it was a big deal to start your period. You know, that was your becoming a woman. Right. And I was the only girl that didn't have either one of those and wanted them in the worst way. (laughs) And, And the boys would walk by me and they would do this you know, and they called me Twiggy. And I didn't even know what that was. I just knew that the way they were saying it was not good. It didn't sound good. And I, and I was afraid to go home and say anything to my mom and dad, because I didn't want them to go to the school and cause more problems. Right. And, and so I was, you know, just like, I would dread recess because the boys would all go around making fun of me. Right. And then the girls started making fun of me and gotten their little groups against me. And so I was pretty much alone until one day my mom noticed that I was like coming home and instead of hanging out with the girls, I was going to my bedroom and shutting the door. And she finally asked me, you know, what's, what's going on? And, you know, I didn't want to tell her. I didn't want to bother her with it, all that kind of stuff. You know, you keep stuff secret. Yeah, But I, I finally told her, she told me that the most interesting thing that, that, well, two of them that helped me, but number one, she said, you know, when boys tease you, it's because they like you, not because they don't like you, which I said, no, no, these boys don't know that they're making fun of me. And she's like, well, okay. Do you know who Twiggy is? And I had no idea. And she said, okay, well, she's a famous model and she's very pretty. She's just skinny. And back then, you know, models were skinny. Um, So she said, the next time one of them call you Twiggy, you say, thank you. And let it go. I like it. Okay. Well, that's easier said than done. But but anyway, um, and then this is really embarrassing, but I might as well tell you, um, we had a big competition, uh, well, a basketball tournament, but then the cheerleaders had a competition during this tournament. So the tournament was like an all day thing. And there was probably like 10 schools and um, each one of the cheerleaders, then cheerleading groups, you know, were in this competition. Well, me being the lightest in weight was always at the top of the pyramids and did my backflips off. And I decided, you know, I really wanted to look good for this competition. There, it was, there was news media, there was pictures being taken, you know, all over the place. So I think it was the first time I actually wore makeup. Um, But I stuffed my, I I had a bra on and I stuffed it. (laughs) You know what I'm going to say? I do. I know where this is going. Okay. So we do this perfect cheer, you know, and it ends with me at the top like this. And then I have to do a flip down. And apparently my Kleenex fell out, but I didn't know it because at the time when we were finishing up, the guys were coming out onto the floor. And so, you know, the whistle had blown and you had to get off the floor real quick. Sure. I didn't see it. Oh, goodness. None of the girls saw it. So we get to the sideline like we're supposed to. The star basketball player, who was the one that kidded me the most, walked over and handed me the Kleenex and said, you drop something. 
Oh my goodness. I want you to know that years later, years later, I think I think I was in college when I saw him again because he did not go to the same high school I went to. Um, but he owned his own business, which I didn't know was his business, knew nothing about him. But I went in there um, and he recognized me. I did not recognize him. He was an alcoholic and a drug addict. Um, but I did not recognize him. And he said to me, Christy, you're so beautiful. And I looked at him, I said, who are you? Like, how do you know me? And then, you know, he told me, but anyway, I said, oh my gosh. I said, do you have any idea what you did to me? Like I cried and cried and cried. I had such a low self-esteem and, and he said, I thought you were so hot. <laughs> really? That that's why you called me names and All right. way to go about it. Jerk. He verified what my mom said, basically. Right. So um kind of I went through that all for nothing. But I, I just don't think I think we need to start teaching our kids at a young age how how what they say can affect somebody so much. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't you I think do it's kind of honor. up to the parents to start that at an early age? Absolutely. I 100% and we've had those conversations or situations with stuff where it's, you know, talking with the, with my kids about not projecting their own things out on other people. Mm -hmm. Just as you said, this, this uh, gentleman, guy, whatever we want to call him that was teasing you and everything else. He clearly, if he fell into addiction, was having some internal issues, issues himself of his own at that time that he was just putting off onto you. Right. It's almost that, uh, and it's very familiar with me in relationships is having, you know, being in a relationship with someone that would constantly put me down because of the way they feel about themselves and that misery wants company. So they were trying to keep me at their same level. And I see that happen with people that I've talked with about toxic relationships that have reached out like, you know, boy, you really turned that around. And, you know, like I, I remember being with buddies recently and they're complaining about their wife's significant others or whatever. And like, what about you, man? I'm like, she's amazing. Like, I, I'm not even in this conversation with you. I've got nothing to offer to this. I, it, it doesn't work that way. My mindset is not there. Right. Sorry. That's and great. Think, and I think it happens so much with people with those toxic relationships as we, or, or interactions. We feel what we feel about ourselves. So we want to get other people there. And it's a, um, I don't know if I can drop any language, but it's a shitty way to try to bond with people. It, it is. really is. I agree. Because that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to create a bond. But it's the worst, most terrible way you could go about it in projecting your own stuff. Whereas mm -hmm. you can put vulnerability out there. You really can. And, and it gives back tenfold as a pair, uh, opposed to uh, being just a, a terrible person. Right. Um, and, and one of the things that I have worked with my kids on, um, hopefully it's helping them. That's, and it's what I've learned throughout my years and actually my um, profession 
because I have to keep taking courses and I have to keep up with stuff, you know, so everything changes. Um, but, you know, I like you had talked about your, your dad apologizing so many times, you know, or taking the blame still, you know, and like enough is enough. Um, I feel like our kids, the kids now, need to quit blaming their childhood once they're an adult. Mm -hmm. Okay. Acknowledge it, go through it, accept it. But now, now we're adults and eh, I think 18 is a way too young of an age to call somebody an adult. I think really, so. I really I think do. Science on brain development has proven that. Yeah. I, and I don't know why they won't change that because I, I don't think I've ever hardly met an 18 year old that is mature enough to make very many decisions. Yeah. Um, 25, maybe yep. starting at that age. Yep. Um, but okay. By now you have seen, even if you had a horrible childhood, you have been around other people, other friends, their families, whatever. You've seen all types of lifestyles. You can now go, okay, well, this is what I want, or this is what seems right. Don't keep going, well, I'm going to stay this way because this is what happened to poor me. Yeah. And I really feel like a lot of parents are letting that happen with their kids, you know, just keep, keep letting them blame you. Yeah. You know, well, you know what, they don't come with a book, you know, and every child is different. And we, you know, I think most of us try to do the best that we can as a parent and we're going to make mistakes. Oh you know? gosh. Yes. <laughs> We're going to make mistakes and in each one of our children are different. So you can't even raise each one of them the same. Nope. Um, so you, you have to get to, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a full-time job and oh, you got wow. to, you got to get to know their personality individually to know how to work with them. But still, you can still have that guideline, yeah. you know, on all of them, just yeah. in the way that you approach them might be different. I and I'm just that. really big when I'm counseling um, on, okay, that's, that's enough of going back to my childhood and saying, you know, well, my dad did this and my mom did that. And okay. They did, you know, and like you said, your mom did the best she could. Okay. And your dad, I'm sure did not mean to ignore you. You know what no, I'm saying? He didn't not. know that that's what he was doing and you've accepted that, oh, yeah. but at the time, yes, it hurt. And I get that. Everybody that I talk to that that puts the blame on their I, I understand all that. But we're we're now old enough to go, okay, what are we gonna do about it? Yep. Okay. And number one, we gotta forgive. Yes. Yeah. And you know, not too long ago I heard um might have been my pastor, because I said he had asked me if I had forgiven my sister for something. And I said, I have forgiven, but I won't ever forget. And he said, then you haven't truly forgiven. Hmm. If you can't forget it, you haven't truly forgiven. That kind of bothered me. Cause I thought there's two ways you can take that. Um, 
the the forgetting i i think sometimes we have to remember things so that we don't do it again sure so you can forgive you know like in a toxic relationship you can forgive that person for whatever they did to you but not forget it so that you don't choose that same type of personality again yeah, that, i think it's uh uh is it the Marine Corps, the Army, God, I'm trying to remember, but the situation dictates. So with certain people, uh, when that familiar behavior of theirs comes on, it's like, I know what this is. I'm not going to participate. Right, um, right. And I, and I think it's very poignant what you say about forgive but not forget. For me, it's definitely been forgive. And I have a recollection of maybe things that happened or even with myself and Mm -hmm. actions because i'm you know while we're talking here please people understand i have done some very terrible things in my addiction you know driving drunk crashing a car a night in jail you know all those things being too hung over to get my kids to school you know these are things that just happen um but uh i they don't as far as the forget part i know i did these things but they no longer have an emotional impact upon me not my actions and that's that's that of anybody else's so it's it's like you know even when it's been brought up by people that will bring up maybe those infractions of my own or them onto me that's like hey that's you know i've done something with it i you know i'm good it's 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 okay you know but thank you and the thing is you're doing something about it all the time correct you know, so it makes a big difference. And, and that's where I think it's okay to maybe not forget so that you don't do it again. But you see what I'm saying? Where that confusion comes with, yeah. you can, for, if you haven't forgotten, then you haven't forgiven. I, I think it depends on the circumstances. Absolutely. Situation dictates. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good way to look at it. Because, uh, yeah, I just, I'm not going to let it have a, an emotional reaction on me anymore. Right. It's not going to control my behaviors. I'm right, gonna, exactly. I'm a sentient being that uh, has logic and reason, and uh, I'm not going to have emotion control my actions anymore. Because, boy, I was an emotional reaction person and, you know. And if I do that, well, then can you hey. say that again? Can you repeat that to the to the audience? Sure. Which part? I, the, I'm not going to. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to uh, let my emotions dictate. I'm not going to let my emotions dictate. I'm not going to let my emotions control. dictate. And we need to remember that. Yeah. Okay. So um, I know we don't have a whole lot of time here left, but um, did we did we cover self discipline? in part of that or not i don't think uh, so. sort of uh, a little bit i you know i it's it's still a it's vital and it, self-discipline is vital and people don't i think take a look at that of of so we had this guest on a, a gentleman i've been friends with for a long time and he's a hard rock heavy metal guitar player he's been in some some big bands and um we were, hadn't seen each other in 15 years and he was talking about you know people that are you know addicts or whatever they're like man i was partying until three or four in the morning or there's seven chicks around or whatever i went on a bender for a week man that was hardcore he's like no man i would go i would play a show get done at 1 a.m i'd be up at you know he's talking about when he's in australia i'd be up at five o'clock 
uh, do my morning prayer meditation, eat a good meal. And I was out seeing the city while everybody else was hung over, sleeping it off. That is hardcore. And it really sunk in for me like, whoa, yeah, discipline is hardcore. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. It's something to be celebrated. Like, you know, I am a film, uh, my college degree is in film and television. I am a, a movie junkie, a, you know, good TV shows. I also love literature. I have to shut it off. I have to do that. Otherwise, I can stay up till five in the morning watching movies and TV or reading a really good book or whatever it is. And uh, it's just so imperative. I know for me, too, uh, with my anxiety and depression and whatever it is, I better be on the ball with when I get up, getting a good meal in me, a good healthy meal, because I'm one of those people. If I start to get hungry, all the negativity can really rush in. And I don't want to. Well, that. plus, like your first morning meal, as long as it's a, a a good meal, is what gives you the energy for the day. It's it's like the most important meal of the day, actually. That's why it's called breakfast. We are breaking right. our fast. Right. So, right. Um, so those kind of things. And, and also, you know, I think an underrated thing that people talk about is your content that you choose. Uh, what you're watching, what you follow on social media, um, what literature it might be, what TV you're watching, all those things, they have an impact. That's why, you know, I spoke on a podcast that was was solely focused on um, sex, love, addiction, pornography and about that is, that, you know, think about the impact of the imagery that you're watching and how your brain takes it in and what you do. And then when you process reality, reality people because this stuff that we watch on screens and everything else your social media it's not reality and you know what I want to add to that because I don't think a lot of people know this but many 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 people fall asleep with the tv on yep and the tv's going on all night long and I don't think that they know that while you're sleeping and that tv is still going and the words are still being spoken and everything that they're actually going into your brain. Mm -hmm. It can actually be part of your dreams. It can actually um, stop your REM, yeah. all those things, even the, the commercials. Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but when a commercial comes on, the brightness of your screen will change sure. that affects your, your REM. Yeah. And, and people don't realize how important REM is in to first of all healing your brain okay and taking all the junk out of there that we don't need so that we have room for the stuff that we do need yeah. and I, I don't think people realize that um, but I, I brought that up because you said you know of what we watch what we listen to and all that and I don't think people realize that when they're sleeping and they have that kind of stuff on that that stuff goes into your brain. Oh, yes, absolutely. You know, and, and it's done on purpose, folks. Yeah. <laughs> the TV well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I put on podcasts when I, that, that's what I put on two, two times. Because I don't have all day long to listen to podcasts. And I could. If, if I had the time, I would. Because I love it. I love it so okay. much. I love getting information. Yeah, you know, same. and and I love hearing other people's struggles and and how they conquer them. You know, I, do I want to hear the pain and all that? You know, no, but it's reality. Yeah. Um, 
but I really like hearing how they conquered that, you know, and the things that they went through to get there. And, uh, but it's not just on those, you know, I like all of them. I love Joe Rogan. (laughs) I I do. Um, He's so real. He's got that ability with his show to talk about whatever the heck he wants to. And he, you know, he, I mean, like he gets done with his short, whatever, you know, interview, and then he gets to ramble for two hours and, and I listen to him ramble, but I don't have time to do that all day. So what I was going to tell you was I, when I have it, I travel a lot, but in the cities, you know, it could take you an hour to an hour and 45 minutes to get from one place to the other. I put it, that's when I put them on. Absolutely. And, and yeah, and that, and then a lot of times before I go to bed, like I, I give myself an hour before it's time for me to sleep. And that's just, so that stuff is taking everything out of my mind that was going on during the day and whatever, and focusing on something else. Yeah. But I will choose a podcast with somebody that has a soothing voice so that I fall asleep to it. (laughs) And it's something good. Okay. So like Joe's, I probably won't fall asleep too, because there, there is a lot of cussing and swearing. And I'm thinking, not not that I don't ever. And I, I'm against that per se, but. I don't want that stuck in my mind right. where all of a sudden I'm going to my be... podcast. So clearly you're okay with some language. Cause we, we have it flying sometimes. Oh so. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and I've had a few interviews and it's okay. You know, it's okay. Um, I try to like my, my two boys, I have wanted them to always talk with respect to adults so the effing word it's it's kind of funny because that's that's not even i i don't know i i don't think it sounds good coming out of a woman's mouth depending on the situation i mean now it's a common word oh yeah you know it's just common it's worked its way into the vernacular to be but i don't even think people know what the actual original meaning yeah because if they did right it's a german word to strike or to and it actually means penetration okay yeah okay so if if you're saying that person's so fucking stupid do you know what you're saying yeah you know what i'm saying yeah we've done that with the we've butchered the english english language so much so much these poor people that are coming into our country trying to learn our language when how could you with all of our lingo (laughs) and oh my gosh but but so i just try to to, um the two things i focus on with with my kids are not using the lord's name in vain um i would rather hear them say the f word than than to use god's name in vain and so that's something that's just my own personal opinion it's not anything i'm putting out there to anybody else but you know i have raised them um as christians and uh that's and and i haven't one time i heard my youngest say you know and he was like playing a game like i think it was night fort or whatever that one's called i don't know i don't know but you know whatever you know he was very intense and he said jesus christ 
And I was like downstairs, like he was loud. He was upstairs. And I'm like, what'd you say? <laughs> and he's like, what? He didn't even know he said it. Right. And uh, I, when I, when I told him, he's like, I said that. And he wasn't trying to get out of it. Like he really didn't even. And I said, see, that's what happens when we're around somebody that talks like that all the time. And, yeah. And that's why I said, you have to be careful who you choose to hang out with. Yeah. So that's going back to addiction. Like all the things we have to give up. Yeah. The toxic people. You, yeah. you have to make that choice. These people could be the nicest people in the world, but if they're toxic, you've got to choose to stay away from them. Yeah. And, and I know. think a thing about with toxicity too, that, that people just think, oh, a person is toxic and that's it. They're just a toxic person. No, it's, it's an interpersonal thing. Exactly. I am toxic to certain people. I stay away from them. I know it is good for me and them and to stay away from them on their own or me where I'm at in life, fine. And so it's not just a blanket thing with this. There's those certain things and how you connect and bond with people and what that bond is almost going back to the guy that was, you know, said terrible things to you and handed you the tissue as he was looking for this, this bond, but in any toxic way, right. you know, how to go through and connect and just be like, hi, what's your name? You seem really nice. Would you want to sit and go get something to eat sometime? You know, it's it's the way in which we treat and interact with people. And so, you know, it's, yeah, it's it's all of it. It's the content you put in your brain, period, and what you put out there in the world, you know? Exactly, exactly. Listen, I have so enjoyed talking to you. I wish there was more time because I could talk to you forever. Likewise. Um, wow. Wow. Um, can you let everybody know that's listening, like where they can get in contact with you? If you do, do you even answer DMs from everybody or do you have somebody else that looks at them or? No, we do. Um, for the, uh, the podcast knocking doors down, uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram knocking and So it's knocking without a G knocking doors down and, and the doors uh, is with a z right and the doors is with the z mm -hmm. i know it's the hardest podcast name to find it's but, okay. uh, no. um yeah or a uh, simple way to find us too is kddpodcast.com and uh yeah i i reply to all the messages or my co-host mikey um if you're struggling or you have some input or whatever it is i mean we've we've definitely helped connect people through um our connections to rehabs and treatment facilities. That's what I was going to ask you. Health. So you guys do yes. help find with rehabs and Absolutely. it doesn't matter where in the United States. Nope. We we've got a pretty good network of relationships that we've built up that we will, if we can't directly find someone in your area, we know someone that we will be able to get you connected. And somehow it is, uh, it is it, for me, my part of my living amends that, uh, Unfortunately, because of my situation and being the sole provider for my children, I, you know, people are like, wait, you're bummed you never went to rehab. I'm like, I would have gotten so much out of it because I was ready, you know, but I couldn't not work. I, I had right. to, like, right. I, like everything would have been gone. My house, the, you know, you know, that's something yeah, I'm, so. I'm sorry to interrupt you and it's supposed to be the end, but I wanted to ask you and I should have been looking at notes, but I was so intrigued and listening and paying attention, but, um, are you raising your kids on your own? 
I am a single father. Um, they, I do have. Uh, do they uh, live with you? Custody. They do majority of the time. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and so okay. they do. They do go to their moms uh, frequently. They are there now as we're talking. So they have a relationship with their mom, which was, um, you know, very important post, you know, post divorce. And that's another thing for people listening. If you've gone through it, whatever struggle you have with the person that you've created life with keep it to that. Don't take it out on the kids. Exactly. Unless, unless that other parent is truly toxic and it's a, a dangerous environment, do everything you can to keep it peaceful for them at any point. And you're going to have to bite your lip. You're, you're going to have times where you just like, you have to let it go in a lot of situations. Um, but uh, it's so important for the kids, but uh, yeah, no, they, they have a relationship with their mom and spend a good amount of time with her as well. And, and I wanted to add something to that then as, as, as far as the children's sake. I know there's a, a lot of people out there that stay together for the sake of the children. Mm-hmm. And as much as that seems like a good thing to do now, if, if you're in, in some type of counseling or therapy or whatever, and it's working, mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a, a good positive thing. And I also think that that's something that you can share with your children that therapy is okay. Yes. You know, um, I, I think everybody should have a life coach, just somebody that they can talk to for whatever. I, I agree. That's what I love about what I do. It's not just about addiction. You know, it's, it's, it's about, I don't, I got a, I got this farm and I want to, you know, move away and I don't know how to get rid of this. And, you know, I find them the right resources for, you know, how to do their financing, how to budget, um, girlfriend, boyfriend relationships, you know, friendships, period, um, grieving. There's so many things that, you know, I work with and, and people don't realize that just because you talk to a therapist does not mean that you're mentally ill. We all probably have some type of mental disorders somewhere along the line. Um, I, I know I do, you know, and, and I work with them and I don't know what I would do if I didn't have a therapist that I could talk to when I wanted to, Absolutely. you know, so that's just to me really important that you at least have somebody that you can talk to that's non-biased even if, even if it's somebody that you met and you're not, you're not really friends with, but you know that you can like talk to them about this and just get it off your chest if it's that. But Absolutely. I mean, it would be better if it was somebody that was professional, but they don't have to be anyway. Um, staying together just for the kids can also be harmful. Yes. Um, so and but it's also very 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 important that if you can if it's not toxic that you can co-parent yes um and that's really important i think if we all look at those things that we might have some healthier kids down the line <laughs> healthier yeah. mentally and physically yeah, yeah. so i agree do you have anything to add to that uh, no, I agree with you 100%. I just, I think it's imperative in those situations to really focus upon the children and their needs and what's, what is best for them. And, and also accept that at times you don't know what is best for them. You may not be the person on your life. Experience. Exactly. And I've had many times, like I said, 
got to let go of the wheel on that situation. And I, you know, I can't dictate that, control that or whatever it is. And, um, and, and from my experience, you know, through what I've been through, you know, listen to your kids, they'll tell you more <laughs> than you think if you're just there for them. Uh, as a people pleaser, I'm also a problem solver. And so I've, I've had to, my girlfriend is like, okay, your daughter's talking to you. She's not looking for a solution. She just wants to be heard. And you know, that's a man thing though. You do know that, right? Oh yeah. No, I am a problem solving son of a gun. That is, that is what I do day in and day out. So uh, absolutely. Have, have, have you heard of that book? Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. I have. Yeah, have you ever looked through it? I did. I read part of it and, you know, somebody asked me and I went, well, we're both from earth, but I get his point. You know, we are kind of different celestial beings. We're in different, different modalities in the ways that we work and process emotions and everything. We're just so different. And uh, trust me, it's a skill set I'm working on, just not problem solving and just sitting and listening. And I actually like that book, but I mean, to sit down and just read it, it's not like one to do that for me but I like to take things out of it and underline it to remember it and that's that's the one thing that um, I I remember is that as a woman we have to remember this about men is that when we go to them and we're wanting them just to listen to us their brain's different and they're going we need to take care of this yeah. We need to solve this problem for him. And that's not what we want all the time. So we have to learn to say to whoever, whatever man we're talking to, I'm just wanting you to listen to me. I don't need you to solve the problem for me mm-hmm. without hurting their feelings. Yeah. Oh, it, mm-hmm. it, it, I've gotten better about that, but it's um, um, my girlfriend and I have just amazed, and we've known each other a long time, really didn't see a relationship coming, but We've been friends a long time. So you're and, friends. And so, oh, yeah. And so it was like, you know, I had the nudge from from Mikey, actually, my co-host on the like, you guys should really date. I'm like, I don't know. And so anyway, cool. but we're so huge on communication and, and really starting any of our um, our important talks with, you know, these are my feelings. These are my thoughts. This is where I'm at. I am sharing them with you, you know, because I, I've had to learn to do that too. I would try to give the cliff notes of everything. Whereas it's like, you can tell me it all. I'm not going to, you know, get upset. I understand and know what you've struggled. I've been your friend and seen you struggle with all these things. And so things that in my past relationships, I'm like, oh boy, this person is going to, you know, go off. And it's just sharing my thoughts and feelings, not actions. There wasn't any wrongdoing, but my mind went to a place that I didn't like and I need to unload it. And it's just like, oh, I let now it's, I love you for that. Thank you for letting me know. And you're stronger, you know, and it's like, oh my God, I don't know what to do with all this mature, (laughs) mature, honest, open relationship. We own our own feelings and don't look to fulfill each other. And you know, so it's, uh, it, I, I think it's just, it's, it's so important to have that, to look, look inside, not project outwards. Absolutely. Okay. Well, it's been great talking yeah, to you. you. Um, congratulations on making it so good thank you. Um, with every, all your decisions that you're making. And of course, your work in progress, just like we all are. Um, and you own up to that. And I love that. 
love that. Um, so I hope that uh, maybe someday I'll meet you. Yes, I would like that very much. Okay. Thank you for reaching out, Christy. You're awesome. And this has been an absolute pleasure. And uh, please don't hesitate to reach out as well. Okay, thank you so much. All right, take care. Bye.